I'm Ryan. And I'm JP. And we, we are, are still, still socially isolated. Welcome to Socially Isolated, the podcast where we discuss different aspects of pop culture through the lens of something specifically Pacific Northwest. Each episode, we discuss pieces of art or culture that provides context to the current events. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. Have you uh, seen any good movies lately? You know, it's been uh, it's been a while since I've seen a really good movie. I've seen a lot of bad movies, and uh, unfortunately, I haven't made it out to theaters lately. But how about you? Um, I've had a good run. Um, I just saw Parallel Mothers at the Grand Cinema here in Tacoma. Enjoyed that one. Um, and I've watched a, I've watched a lot of good stuff on streaming. I there was a movie called Old Henry that I watched that I enjoyed. I watched um, The Hand of God, which is an Italian film that's probably going to be Ooh. the Italian Oscar nomination, but that was really great. So yeah, it seems like there's a lot of good stuff out there. And of course, I'm asking because we're coming off of the illustrious Sundance Film Festival, which was mostly online this year, as it was last year. Yeah. And like we did last year, we are here to do what I think is now going to become our annual Sundance episode, this review of all the things that happened during Sundance. So we thought we would bring back our special guests to uh, to give us a little bit of the highs and lows of this festival experience, the virtual festival experience. Yeah, welcome back, Chase Hutchinson and Philip Cowan. Chase, of course, you will remember is a freelance writer and film critic, and he's written for The Stranger, The Portland Mercury, The Inlander, The News Tribune, Collider, probably others. So welcome, Chase. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back again. And Philip Cowan is the executive director for The Grand Cinema, who has been going to the Sundance Film Festival every year since 2010, which seems like so close, but yet that is so long ago. We are very excited to have both of you and uh, welcome, Philip. Thanks. Great to be back and talk a little film with you. Yeah, you guys probably between the two of you saw um, in the, the multi digits of, of films, but I must, I don't know if it's easier or less easy to manage it all at home. What's what, what do you prefer? Personally? I, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of both. It's certainly easier to watch from home because you can, you can pause a movie and go grab something to eat or start a movie whenever you want, or you can, if one's not going well, you can just end it and move on to the next one. Um, so it's easier, but you certainly lose a lot of atmosphere watching them online than you do in person. You, you don't you don't get those recommend. You can look online for reviews as the festival's going on, but uh, you don't get those buzzy people talking to you while you're in lines like, oh, you got to go see this film because you definitely pick up ideas talking to others. Yeah, I didn't ever stop a movie midway through and maybe we can get into that because I mostly like to, to try and finish it no matter what. But it, yeah, I echo that. It's a lot easier to kind of plan and schedule it out to where you don't have to drive around from place to place or, or figure out where you're going to stay or do any of those things, even though I somewhat planned to maybe go in person, but I think it was a totally necessary move to, to switch to virtual. And I still ended up picking up on some good ones from, from people I talked with, although obviously it's not the same as someone coming up to you breathless in person, but I still had a really good time. Yeah. You had to really rely on kind of Twitter for that that experience of what you have to see. And, and, and then you kind of had a quick window. You had to watch it, you know, usually within the next 24 or 48 hours that you saw it on Twitter and then quickly had to choose to watch it, maybe bump out something else that you were watching that day. Still has that franticness. You had to make some tough choices along the way. Philip, how many movies did you turn off? Now we need to know. 
Actually, there was only one feature that I turned off, but I was also watching all the short films with uh, eye towards programming them for the Tacoma Film Festival. And some of those I could get through, you know, five minutes into it. And it was clear that it just, you know, it wasn't like it's a bad film, but, you know, I'm programming for Tacoma and for Tacoma audiences, and maybe it just wasn't going to work for us. So short films were the ones that I ended up cutting off more often. How was the experience um, in comparison to last year? Because last year, I think, was the first time that we did a virtual um version of of this is that correct i thought it was genuinely pretty seamless i think there had been one kind of hiccup for some people and that was the film something in the dirt i know people had been having some difficulties watching it but i think they they fixed it pretty quick when it comes to accessibility i think they're kind of raising the bar for what festivals can do in that regard with the virtual component and making sure anyone and everyone can access the the great films that are shown there. So I thought, I thought it went off pretty well. So I, I think it goes technically smoothly, but I've done both the Toronto Film Festival virtual and Sundance, and I way prefer the way Toronto does it because they essentially Toronto has a film, at least the way they did it last year, they could change next year. You know, they have a film that'll debut at, you know, 10 a.m. And then it will be good for a couple couple of days past that, like 48 hours past that. Whereas Sundance, you know, if you're watching a premiere, you you need to watch it in the window of when it starts. And it really forces you to make a schedule a lot more. And then you're having to make guesses on films a little bit more. Whereas Toronto, you can move in and out and you can zig and zag and read a review and shift over to something that might be good and whereas Sundance you need to lock it in before you've heard any reviews and for me since I'm watching it all to program for the grand you know picking up a film can be very important that maybe I didn't think was going to be you know terribly interesting or something but people are really buzzing about it and I need to shift over to it and if I didn't plan on it early on it's it's a lot harder to do that. Yeah well let's dive into what you guys saw in your picks and pans um what were, I don't know, I'll just start with the negative, Chase. What were the ones that you just plowed through that you did not want to keep staying to the end, but you seem like you're the type of guy you said you couldn't, can't walk out, so. Yeah, I, I think the big one, unfortunately, was was Alice. And it's a bummer because I really like Kiki Palmer. And I think I think she should be in more movies and had been showing up in things kind of occasionally. She had showed up in the most recent season of Insecure. But this one just really fell flat for me. It's it's a similar story to kind of what you've heard before, where it's a horror convention around a woman who escapes from a slave plantation and then finds out she's living in a more modern society that slavery has since been abolished. But she was one of the many people that never got to leave and be free of it. And if that sounds similar to another movie, I'm not going to say which one. It sounds very similar to a recent other movie that it it takes a little more of a straightforward approach to it. But I unfortunately was left feeling like it just really didn't know where it wanted to go. It kind of goes for the fish out of water, almost as comedy routine for a lot of it. And then just kind of follows a, a very generic path. That was that was probably my biggest disappointment of the the festival, unfortunately. Well, and I'll, I'll echo that one on the same film because there's so many films, I'm sure some we I saw and you didn't and vice versa, but this one I also saw. And this one, one I took to the grand to show for staff. Um, and so multiple people got to see it at the same time. It was about six of us. And 
to be honest, when I watch it, I thought the scripting was so poor. I thought they were trying to pull off a time travel kind of movie of where like a slave got to move forward in time to see like, oh, what, what's it going to be like in, in 1970? And so I was starting to think, okay, that could be a cool concept. It's like, oh, we went from slavery, but then to a country that still is not as advanced as it should be. But then it was really saying that she was there all the time. And I just got lost. It just wasn't even clear what they were even trying to do. So it, it was disappointing. It was one that I thought had, I thought the plot, the, the idea of it had real potential and then it just didn't work. So this way you're describing, the way you're describing it, it reminds me of Octavia Butler's Kindred, which is a graphic novel that has a science fiction twist to it that um, the, uh, the woman is uh, transported back into the South uh, during the time of slavery and then uh, travels back and forward through time, um, experiencing these types of um, situations that, that are happening. Well, I'll, I'll give away the one I had been thinking of. I had been thinking of Antebellum from 2020 and Antebellum, I think also, Antebellum was more of a mystery. So kind of drawing the comparison was one I was reticent to do because I didn't want to, I guess, spoil Antebellum if that was something people hadn't seen, but they follow a very similar conceit and it felt like this almost was a more straightforward take on it, whereas Antebellum was more of a horror film that played with the mystery of it. It, it just is tough because neither of them really grapple with the material in the way that I think it kind of deserves. Alice also didn't really know what to do with Common, as a lot of movies do. He plays a, a truck driver who picks up uh, Kiki Palmer's Alice, and it's... It's just very strange. It, from scene to scene, I think it's interesting that you said, Philip, that you almost had a science fiction component. It seemed like it was grasping for something more, but then it just kind of follows a very predictable path. Um, I think I probably like it better than the Antebellum, but that's because the Antebellum was really disappointing. I remember seeing the, the description of that one you know, just picking the films. I only, I just did like one a night. I'm, I don't have your guys's fortitude. Um, but, um, and I remember seeing the description for that one and, and just wondering if it was going to just be really on the nose, you know, like, oh, the, you know, she travels to the future and it's not that much better, you know, but so it's interesting. You guys have different uh, critiques of it, but I, I wondered how that one was, you know, I remember seeing that one as I was just skimming through them so quickly. And did you, the, the one that I just couldn't finish was one called Brian and Charles. I don't know if you saw that one. It, it was based, I hadn't seen the short, but it was based off of a sh short film that apparently was really good. And uh, it was just a, a, a Welsh guy who has invented this robot, which is not a, not a realistic looking robot at all. It's clearly somebody dressed up as a robot. And so it's meant to be tongue in cheek and everything. And it's, it's supposed to be where the, the robot kind of learns the real world and it's mischievous and um but it just was a kind of one of those short films that had no more life than just a short film to me although i did one of my coworkers saw it and rather enjoyed it so i'm you know what right caveat to everyone one. listening make your own own opinion yeah so totally. it's 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 very true so what works for me or couldn't might not work for somebody else what about some of the buzzy titles that did anything um, kind of trick you into watching it and you just didn't think it held up? We'll just start, we'll, we'll keep with the negative. I promise we'll get to the, the, the picks later, but we're sticking with the pans. For me, it was uh, When You Finish Saving the World, Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut. 
because it had been interesting that he was going behind the cameras actors are want to do and you're always kind of curious what their first project is going to be and i think this is one that connected with some other people and i can kind of see where they're coming from about it, it's centered on sort of this dysfunctional family unit and about a, a coming of age story while also a connection between mother and son but it never really goes beyond that. By the time it ends, I feel like we were just about to, to get to something. And a lot of the other characters within it aren't quite as developed or fully explored. It stars Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard, who I think actually do kind of pretty good. And it kind of grew, grew on me. But it, it just was, I, I don't like to use this word, but it felt very cringy in a way that it wasn't fully able to have a handle on for a lot of it because there were certainly parts that were about the awkwardness and were intentionally about the strangeness of growing up but then there were other parts that just just quite didn't work yeah one that didn't work for me it was a documentary called to the end uh, it wasn't bad uh, it was it was a documentary following people of color in as they're going through congress and particularly as it relates to environmental legislation kind of coming up but it seemed it all seemed like really dated because, you know, obviously these things happened a couple of years ago when they filmed it and they're talking about things that, you know, passing things that you know whether it passed or didn't pass and the kind of struggles, it just didn't, I, I, I like political documentaries, but this one just already seemed too dated, you know, like watching you sitting down to watch a newscast from two years ago and then not being terribly interested in what happened then. Was this the same director as uh, Knock Down the House? It was, and that's why I was really anxious to see it. it you know, it follows AOC a lot in this movie. And... Well, let's think of the good news then. You guys definitely saw stuff you liked. What are what are the standouts? And um, I will mention, and, and we'll post the link in our show notes, that um, Chase has put together a great roundup of, um, as a publication, films from Sundance that are coming to screens where... Um, mere mortals like JP and I can actually watch them. So um, maybe as you go through these, you guys can mention the ones that we might actually have a chance that you know are going somewhere. Because um, even when movies play at Sundance, they don't always see the light of day again. So um, yeah, kick us off with uh, the stuff you loved. I was going to start with After Yang because that was the standout, absolutely knocked me flat, best movie of the festival. Um, it's coming to theaters March 4th. It's from the same director as the movie Columbus, which I would highly recommend people seeing. Oh, JP, if you haven't seen that, JP would love that movie. Columbus is a really good one. I hadn't thought about that movie in a while and didn't realize it was the same director. Go, go ahead. Yeah, his name is Koganada, and he had previously been a video essayist and had a very unique eye. His, his short sort of analysis pieces of, of Soderbergh was on like the Criterion Collection, but it was always very interesting talking about narrative convention and like sort of the grammar of cinema. And I think that makes him a really interesting director in how he approaches stories because it's essentially about a family in a sort of light sci-fi story who has a family member who they have purchased essentially for their daughter that they've adopted who's Asian and they want to give her a sibling that she can connect with who's also Asian. But then Yang, begins to malfunction and die. And they sort of as a family have to grapple with what that means. And it's kind of always about memory. There are multiple scenes where characters were almost repeat something. 
as if they're recalling it again and kind of like connecting with a certain line. And so it's, it's very poetic and very beautiful, has great performances all around. It's visually very stunning. I, I would really recommend it. it. It has a lot of really good heart and soul to it. I'll just chip in on that one. I, I did not see that one partially because I knew it had a distributor that I could get a screener from outside of that. So I didn't have to use one of my precious tickets for it. I could see it otherwise. Um, and we're not confirmed to have that one at the Grand yet on March 4th, but I do and I do anticipate that coming. So so watch for that coming soon. It, I, from everything I've heard, would agree with you on that, Chase. That sounds awesome. One that I, I know you did book that is also on Chase's list is The Worst Person in the World. Yeah, that one's one I saw outside of Sundance as well. A really good film, really strong young actress who has a, a fascinating story behind her that oh, by the way I thought for I just to say what I saw the still I thought was a Dakota Johnson movie so I kind of have just crowned her the queen of this year's Sundance so I was I was surprised to find that that wasn't her but she's still a queen of Sundance this year well and I'll one of my favorites was one that she was in called am I okay uh that she was really good in so I hi on that one but yeah the the uh worst person in the world is a Norwegian film and I don't know, I'll let, I'll let Chase talk a little bit more about it there too, but it's, it's one I particularly liked. Uh, it's got critics buzzing, uh, just opened this past weekend in New York and LA to really strong crowds. So uh, looking forward to, to bringing that one to Tacoma. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of echo that it, it has a lot of critics buzzing, but it's also interesting because Richard Brody of The New Yorker had just written a review that was a pretty pretty negative review on it that I thought was really interesting where he had been saying that it kind of reduces her character to being a bunch of character traits which I very much disagree with but it's very interesting I think it's the type of movie that no one person will see the same because you'll kind of approach it as where was I at this point in my life how was I figuring out what I was going to do and I think in that regard it's it's a really interesting work I think there's so many kind of visual moments of flair to it that are very quiet where everything will stop at one moment as she kind of walks through the city to try and figure out where this other person she's potentially fallen in love with is. And they didn't use CGI for any of that. They just had people stop and stand still. And apparently because it was during the pandemic, other people joined in and just kind of wanted to be a part of the, the experience. But it's, it's a coming of age sort of story, but it's in your sort of mid-20s where you're supposed to have everything figured out about your direction your life your work your love and then it becomes kind of an interesting reflection on when all that doesn't work out what do you do and i i think it's probably one of the the best movies of the year and so you should you should see it anywhere that you can when it comes out yeah nothing nothing more to add on that one but it just you know i'm a little older than my you know 30-ish age on that she was in this film but uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, th I think you're always trying to find your place in the world, even no matter how established you are and trying to figure out what you're doing and what's next. And, and it just really shows her, you know, trying to figure those things out in real time while everybody else is swirling around. You know, it's interesting, Chase, that you mentioned it was shot in the pandemic. And so there's just like that little side story. Did you guys watch any other movies that seem to be like direct reflections of our time? Um, I'm sort of reminded there's a, a Romanian film that um, is called Bad Luck Banging, and they're clearly wearing masks in the movie and it's shot. And I watched um, a, a film at Sundance that was from Hawaii. And it's you could just tell the characters it's part of the, their lives that they're taking their masks off and on. It's just this is a movie that was made in 2021. And 
they didn't try to hide it. So I was just wondering if you guys any, saw any other movies that that was part of the plot or struck you in some way. One that I particularly liked, you, you, they don't show masks or anything, but there's just pretty much just two people in the film. Good luck to you, Leo Grand, um, which is uh, Emma Thompson movie. And it's, it really almost comes off like a stage play. Um, and, and I haven't read any other reviews of this one yet, but it, it felt uh, a lot like, like the before sunrise, before sunset kind of films, because it's largely two characters just philosophizing and talking about their life and where they are in different things. And it was, and I love before sunrise and before sunset. And so this one really worked for me as well. And Emma Thompson is great. Um, but there's, it's with just two people on a, in one set, that's pretty much the whole film takes place in a hotel room. Um, they, they definitely were filming it during, during COVID times. And, uh, and that I'm, to a certain degree, it probably shaped how they did the movie because it might've had other plot points or things that, that they could have worked in, but they tried to limit it and it really worked because of the way they did it. But I, I can't think of any films that, I feel like there was one in there somewhere that had a lot of masking in it, but I can't. Was that the sort of like slice of life about the guy who was the radio host? Is that the Hawaiian one? That's that has a lot in common with the one that I made. It was called like Every Day in, um, and it was the town that he lived in in Hawaii that I, escapes me now. But he was a radio host. But that could just be a, a coincidence. No, I think that I think they reference COVID a couple times because they're contemplating a move. Yes, that's and are the one. like, how are we going to do this move during the pandemic? How are we going to make this work? And I won't could, talk a she, lot about it. One woman's like a, cer a ceramicist, and she complains that to, for her the spacing, and she always has to sit next to the kiln, and it's really hot because they need to have like six feet of distance, and the only way to make it work is have her right next to the kiln all day. Yeah, it was a, it was a very kind of heartfelt movie and you could tell it was made with a lot of passion with like people's friends and not a lot happens in it and it, it's kind of hard to find something to grab onto but I think I think kind of as like a, a low-key hangout movie there there's something interesting going on there yeah it was a nice window to a world we wouldn't see otherwise but I agree um it did it felt like I actually felt another theme but I Upon further reflection, realize this has been going on for a long time, but I feel like there was a lot of movies about the 90s and or and this felt to me like a sort of Sundance in the 90s type of movie, like, you know, the kind of movies you would have seen then before everything was preordained to be going to Amazon Studios. Um, and so this was like truly an indie film that was, you know, shot intimately. Um, but yeah, but otherwise, I, you know, one of, I'm glad I saw it because I will probably never have a chance to see it again. Oh, no. I'm curious if there were any, um, just like, um, I don't know if you'd call them sleeper hits, but uh, ones that you were just surprised at how amazing they were, like they didn't get the buzz that you were expecting or that they should have received. My pick was going to be a movie called Emergency that I know is going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say divisive because that sounds like too strong. I imagine a lot of people will not quite connect with it because it's a very stressful movie. Um, it's about three friends and it's based off the director's short film, Carrie Williams. Um, and they are in college and they're planning to have a night out of like hitting every single party on campus as like a big hurrah. They're probably going in different directions in their life. And this is kind of their, potentially one of their last times to be together. But when they go back to their home, they discover that there's 
a white woman who has passed out in their living room, somehow has wandered in, in her own vomit, and them both being one of the few, or a couple of the few black students at their campus, know that if they call the police, it might not look good for them. And there's a concern that they could face blame for what happened. And so they decide that they want to still do the right thing and drive her to the hospital. And everything that kind of can go wrong does go wrong. And it really is stressful. I was up kind of almost pacing around something you couldn't do at Sundance in person, just because you care about these people and they're trying to do the right thing. But so much is just like falling apart slowly. And it almost tips, I think, also a little too far of going into like cringeworthy and like, oh, look at these awkward circumstances that could almost become dangerous. But it, it, it manages to pull you back from the brink several times. And I haven't heard a lot of talk about it. I think it kind of had a little bit of some buzz that first night, but then kind of faded. So that's that's one I think would be interesting for, for people to see. And I think that comes out, yeah, that comes out in theaters on, on May 20th and then is available to, to stream on Amazon since that had been brought up on the, the 27th of May. I'm making a note on the, the date on that one. Uh, I hadn't heard that, but I, I also saw Emergency and really liked it. Uh, you know, for their scenarios, it kind of pulled in like every possible scenario that that you could face as a, particularly as a black man in America into one movie consecutively one after the after the other. And so, you know, realistically, not all the things are going to happen in one night, but individually, you could see every one of those things being possible and something to fear and the way uh, different people handle people differently based on the color of their skin. And so I, I really liked it. Uh, and it, it definitely created that attention of like, where's, is this going to end poorly? Not who's going to learn what that anyway, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Cause it's weird. Cause it's also like a college buddy comedy at the same time. Yeah. Like it kind of is a genre mashup and almost is like coming at you and how it's then turning a lot of the conventions on its head where it's like, what if this very like goofy scenario also was, potentially a perilous one and people could get seriously hurt and it's it's not going to be for everyone i imagine the the stressfulness of it can reach almost a breaking point but i think it has a lot of interesting stuff going on in it and is very funny as well yeah, that's that's the key thing to stress it's it's got all this serious topics going on but there's a lot of good humor in it too so i think they they really nail it because you're, it's a lot easier to to talk about topics when you've got that humor as a thread going through it. So an, another one that's um, that's coming out really soon that I, I watched, I knew it was a Netflix film and I was hoping it would get some theatrical, but I'm, it may not, because I think it comes out in another, well, it comes out very shortly in, in February here. It's called Downfall, The Case Against Boeing. Uh, and I definitely wanted to watch that because of the Northwest ties to it. And it's, it's a Rory Kennedy documentary and that she's one of those filmmakers I would, highly encourage you to check out her other previous films. Uh, she, she does great work. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a really good story of Boeing and the 737 MAX and all the problems it's had um, with the two airliners going down around the world and investigating of what they knew and when they knew it and, and how the, the company has evolved over the years to, to, from one that was primarily out there for safety and then it shifted to more of a company that tries to cut costs uh, and those have a lot of negative consequences, obviously. 
Um, but it, it's really interesting. And there's so many Boeing people in the Northwest here that you know everybody knows somebody who's worked for Boeing, if not their family or friend or somebody out there. So I would, I would recommend for everybody to catch that when it comes on Netflix soon. And maybe if we can get a one-off screening right at the Grand, do that too, because I would love to get a discussion going and find some bring a employees. employee for a Q and A. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that's one of those awesome. ones that's a documentary, but it's also a horror film where you see mm -hmm. all the things that led to these disasters laid out very clearly that it's hard mm -hmm. not to just be terrified about how stuff like this can happen so easily. Well, we are nearing our time here, and I thought maybe what we could do is a, a quick lightning round of some uh, last-minute recommendations that you would have that we can uh, put together, and we'll put it on our show notes here. Sure, I can hop in and just quickly say that there's a movie called You Won't Be Alone that is a very weird one, and I know people are going to sound know this sounds strange but it's basically if Terrence Malick made a film about the lives of 18th century witches and it's really great it really <laughs> snuck up on me I wasn't I had no idea what I was expecting and it really threw me at certain moments but then it really kind of settles into something very lovely that comes out uh on April 1st and I would really recommend it oh I am there for that <laughs> so I mean I guess I have one that's called Framing Agnes. I don't know of any release on it, so it may not be coming up very soon. Um, it's a kind of a documentary theatrical hybrid. Um, it, it's an all trans cast uh, and they go back and pull interviews that uh, a doctor had done with trans people 50 years ago, and then they reenact those. And then so they're, they're reenacting that and then they do interviews with the real life actors in it and talk about their lives and their reaction of doing these different scenes. And it's a, it's a really interesting and it gives a good history of, of pe important people in the trans movement um, through the years and, and in kind of an entertaining way, the way they do it. So definitely looking forward to seeing what might happen with that film. Yeah, my last one would be the movie Master, which I have had so many different complicated emotions about because it's been, I think, at a surface level compared to movies like Get Out, which then every single horror movie that talks about race will always be compared to, unfortunately. But I think it's a lot more interesting than that. It's basically set at a college where Regina Hall plays a character who is taking over as, quote unquote, master of a residence hall. And then there's another character who's a student that comes to the campus but begins to face a lot of horror that seems both potentially not of this world and also of this world but it, it really it's quite shocking at moments at a, at a key moment um, but it goes in a very interesting direction that I thought was quite compelling especially the the final shot I thought was really good there's also and this was something I tried to figure out more details about there's a Tacoma connection that is very light that shows up on a moving box that someone has written. And that was where I was able to pause it. And I looked at it and I wrote it down. I was like, there's no way. Cause oh. then I had, is there other Tacomas in the country? And I was like, no, this was actually Tacoma. Cause it gets set as a line of dialogue and then written. And for that alone, I think there's, that's a reason to see it if you're from Tacoma, but then also just cause I think it's a, it's a good movie. Um, and that comes out, I think on streaming on the March 18th. Nice. 
Well, that's wonderful because our, we wrap up every episode with what we call our thoughts on thoughts section, which is where we get to sort of quickly mention things that we didn't get to come up in conversation, but we wanted to share. And mine was asking if you saw anything that had any kind of local connections. And um, so that's the perfect wrap up. Um, I do know that um, a local experimental filmmaker, Matt McCormick had a short film in the festival. Um, so thank you to the, the stranger for alerting me to that, although I didn't get a chance to see it, but was there anything else other than being on a, the name on a box? Was there any firm filmmaker or thematic connections to the Northwest? Well, uh, the Boeing movie that I mentioned, um, of course, yeah. but I, I don't recall any others, but I'll, I'm gonna spin off your comment though a second ago, you, you talked about short films. There's a lot of short films in Sundance and it's kind of hard to talk about a lot of those, uh, but I highly encourage people to, to get out there and give short films a try. And so look for packages like this, whether it's at the Grand this soon or in film festivals, the SIF, whenever they do their film festival does short films and we at the Tacoma Film Festival do short films. So, so take a chance on those. The only other local connection I was going to throw out is that the Northwest Film Forum was one of the satellite screens as part of the Sundance Film Festival. And they're a bunch of wonderful, lovely people. And I think it's really awesome that of across the country, there's, there's a satellite screen relatively close by that showed a whole bunch of good films. I think that's always a, a, a nice thing to, to have. And I hope it happens again, even if the, the next festival next year isn't virtual. I think the idea of bringing programming around the same time as the festival, even though a lot of it happened, I think either a week or so later, making it more accessible, democratizing the film festival, expanding who can go and experience it, I think is always a good thing. However much Park City, Utah is, I'm sure a lovely place full of nice people, not everybody can can travel or wants to, to head to the snowy <laughs> state. So yeah, that, that was the last thing I was gonna throw out. Well, that's it for our show. You can follow us on social media. I am on Twitter at Indie Arts Voice. And I am on Twitter at JP Avila. You can find more information about the show on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or our website at So ISO Podcast. Chase, where can people find you online? Primarily on Twitter um, at Eclectic Hutch. And I, I think I'd said last year that I was going to have tried to change it since then, but it's the same as what it is. Go follow me there for film related stuff and hopefully whenever this comes out maybe a, a bigger story that I've been working on for several months since since last year that is related to film and, and kind of the the process that goes into making to it um, yeah nice Philip where can people follow you so no no following me just follow the grand cinema grandcinema.com uh, I my voice comes through the movies that we program there so it just Go, go, go see films. And as always, if you like our show, subscribe, rate, review on your podcast platform of choice. And come back next month. Bye for now. Bye.